With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Not syndication quality, Grace. It's all right. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. I am so excited about this one. Been wanting to do it for a while. We've had folks on from the Dissident Project before. Here's another one. Uh, Francis White is joining us, and we also have Grace Vidalik. So close. <clears throat> Grace Vidalik. One day uh, you'll get it. I'm, I keep trying. This is like her second time on the program. She spoon feeds me a, a <laughs> dazzle, but they, I can't. Do, I'm a hillbilly. Forgive me. Grace is here. She is the uh, program manager for the Dissident Project. And Francis is, of course, one of their superstar contributors. I cannot wait to dig into this. Uh, we had our friend Daniel on before already, but uh, let's just start there. Grace, just outline the Dissident Project because it was still kind of an idea when we talked about it with Daniel. They were getting ready to launch it. You guys got a couple weeks under your belts. You got some events under your belts, some real high-profile media. Just let folks know what it is, where they can find it, and why it's so special. And we're all so very, very excited to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So the Dissident Project um, is still kind of in its infancy, but it has launched. Um, we launched just a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C., um, it is a 501c3 that is dedicated to uh, connecting young professionals with personal experience with authoritarian socialism with classrooms across the nation at no cost to the host organizations. Um, and we have quite an impressive roster of dissident speakers, one of whom you're going to hear from today. Um, our founder is, uh, his name is Daniel DiMartino. He is from Venezuela. He is um, really the visionary behind the project, um, and he is uh, an, impressive, an impressive guy in his own right. He's pursuing his PhD in economics at Columbia University right now, uh, and is also a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Um, we have people from Eritrea, people from Hong Kong. You're going to hear Francis's story today. Um, we have people from North Korea, uh, people from Venezuela, uh, and we're really, really excited to be able to share their stories with the world. Yeah, which brings us to Francis. Just go ahead and tell folks your story because we we part of the problem with Western media and all media has this problem is we just hear the stories. We don't get the faces and names sometimes. So, of course, you are from Hong Kong. Um, you're directing the We Are Hong Kongers. Put a face on that and tell us through your experience what that actually means because we've heard about Hong Kong in the news and now we're not hearing it in the news, which is even more of a tragedy. We'll get into that in a minute. What's your story of being from Hong Kong, growing up there, and now having to be, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, a dissident trying to advocate for what you consider to be home? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Francis Hoy. Um, I'm the Hong Kong. I'm a Hong Kong activist in Exile, and I'm the director of We the Hong Kongers. So I actually started my activism in Hong Kong when I was like 14 years old, and at that time it was like in 2012 when the government basically introduced like a national education scheme and me as a student um, I learned about having these kind of civil rights and freedom um, and basically living in the city and that's something that do not exist in China and so I I know this is special it's different and uh, and sh so I developed my 
own kind of national identity of being a Hong Konger. And uh, I continue to, you know, become part of the movement. And I was just a student because I'm the first people who would be affected by this scheme. Because in that kind of national education scheme, you would be brainwashed to with all that kind of pro-CCP ideologies and thinking. And it's not acceptable for us. And so I went on the streets and that's how I got involved. And then eventually I was interested in journalism. So I came to the United States and um, studied journalism. But at that time in 2019, the big movement happened in Hong Kong. It's when the China wants to um, integrate Hong Kong as part of China and also um, propose a bill to uh, basically extradite criminals from Hong Kong to China. And as some of you know, like the legal system, the jurisdiction is different. Um, and we have our own law in Hong Kong. And so people were mad. Two millions, pe two millions of, the, uh, of the people went onto the streets and protest. And at that time I was in the States. So I feel like I have to use my network, all that I can provide to, um, to the movement. And so I started, you know, it, getting involved in like international advocacy for Hong Kong, um, going to DC and Congress and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then in 2020, when I graduated from college, I went back to Hong Kong, but that's when they introduced another bill to um, basically criminalize anyone who were involved in the movement and um, including those who were involved in foreign policies and um, lobbying kind of stuff. And obviously I'm one of the targets and so I decided to leave, to leave Hong Kong again and became basically a refugee from Hong Kong. Um, and I would tell you that growing up in Hong Kong, I understand those kind of freedom were so embedded in, your, in my life. And if you asked me like five years ago that I would become a political asylee from Hong Kong, I would tell you absolutely, you know, that's 100% ridiculous. But because it's so embedded in our life, we don't realize it's so important. And that's why I think, you know, when, when we, I have lived the life of having freedom and when I lose it, that's it, that's the end. And I, you know, there's no way back. And so for me, as someone who have lived that kind of background, who have experienced how it feels like to lose freedom under the communist rule, I think it's important for me to tell American students that what freedom means. It's important for me to share my story and for them to understand freedom that you enjoy in the United States is not granted. It's not it's not free. And it's important, you know, it's even more persuasive if I share my story because I lived that experience. I lived that story. I I know how it feels like. So that's why I when the dissident projects approached me i that's perfect like that's something i want to do i want to educate students here in the united states and tell them my story and tell them how it feels like to be under the communist rule yeah grace the thing is because you and francis are much of an age um did you do a lot of protesting in nebraska as a freshman in high school did you have to take the street because Part of what the biggest thing, and I know because I talked to Daniel even before they got this all the way launched, he had had this idea for quite a while. One of the main points of the Distant Project is to talk to these school-age kids, the age that she got activated, the age that her freedom started being taken away from her and the millions of other people. You're a little close to that age group. Talk about being in high school 
were you aware that these things are going on? Where, where does you now looking back on it, it's like, man, I wish I'd known about that, that there's people my age having to do this. And that's kind of the core of what the Dissident Project wants to get at, isn't it? It really is. Um, my high school experience was entirely different than the dissidents that we have on our roster. Um, you know, grew up going to a uh, 6.30 a.m. cheerleading practice and uh, sitting through classes like a like a normal student and then uh, doing my extracurriculars, going home, doing my homework and falling asleep and doing it all the next day. Um, and so hearing these stories has been incredibly humbling. I think you can understand um, only so much from afar. Um, and that's, you know, one of the main reasons why we, why we wanted to bring in, uh, bring in these knowledgeable speakers who have lived it firsthand. We also wanted to start earlier with high school audiences because I know in my high school experience, I was able to, uh, without any bias or prejudice, work through ideologies on my own, uh, come to uh, value judgments on different ideologies on my own. And unfortunately, that's not the way that high school is anymore. So when kids get to college, they have already had uh, an education or a, a stigmatization surrounding certain ideologies. Um, and so we understood, Daniel understood that the dissident project needed to start younger than the college campus. Um, and that's how we landed on the high school campus. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Yeah, and Francis, talk about that because you just mentioned it. You you realized pretty young at an early age that your freedoms were going away. Most outside observers knew when the British handed Hong Kong back over that this was eventually going to happen because of the way the, the Chinese Communist Party is a dictatorship over the Chinese people. They had long covered it Hong Kong the way they covered other places. Even though knowing it was coming, you talk about, you know, within five years, it's just gone. Just walk people through that that realization because it there's something about you know the the old famous line from literature of um, gradually then suddenly that's really what mm -hmm. happened to Hong Kong is they knew it was they knew it was a threat they knew it was there and then here comes the crackdown and there's just no stopping it and the world just kind of watched just walk us through that as somebody who actually lived through it. Well, I would say I I was actually born after the handover. 
and uh, the stories that I've heard from people who who have experienced the the period of that time, a lot of people, even the international community, has hope that you know Chinese that uh, China would eventually democratize, and a lot of people have high hopes on China that on on Hong Kong that it will become the freedom beacon that would influence China and bring it back to democratization. But it didn't happen. Um, at the time when Xi Jinping um, took over China, that's that's when we realized he is taking another direction. When I grew up, I get to learn about why Hong Kong is so special. And I know on the textbook that we have all these civil rights and um, freedom that was promised by the basic law and the basic law. And eventually the people would get right, the rights to vote for their own official, their own leader. And that's totally different. And since you know Xi Jinping took over, he is taking a more aggressive kind of attitude to, to um, expand uh, his power. And one of the very important thing that he want to achieve is to completely take control of Hong Kong and Taiwan, right? And dissidents should cannot happen. There shouldn't be any other pluralism or any other opinion that do not fall into the CCP ideology. And so since he took over, that's every when that's when everything starts to change. You see all these kind of different uh, proposals, schemes that are um, introduced by the government of Hong Kong. And those are the little things that they are trying to integrate Hong Kong and China. For example, as I said, the national education scheme is one of them. And then they start to make it easier for Chinese um, tourists to come to Hong Kong. And you see price and everything start to go up drastically. And people of Hong Kong are living um, terrible life that other people do not were not aware. People are they only know about Hong Kong as the international financial center. It's so pretty. Um, it's slightly different from from China, but there are so many little things that China doesn't want you to know. And I lived it with it, and I can see how my city changed. And when you have a city that students as young as like thirteen years old, ten years old have to step outside on the street and on standing on the front line and facing tear gas and pepper spray that's when you know something is wrong and i i have experienced that i was on the front line and i've seen my friends being arrested and locked behind bars even until now and so for me to grow up in that kind of environment having you know being a high school student to experience all these kind of stuff i understand that i have a place to continue to fight for freedom and as i said that's something so becomes so precious to me because i can see it losing and coming to the united states when i see kids playing on the you know on the streets going to school that's when i know like you know this is something that i should have when i grow up in my childhood that's a a, a normal childhood that everyone should have um, and when I go to college, I see people like my classmates, they don't know what happened in Hong Kong and they would have certain ideologies that 
thinking that this is something that they can protect their country, but at the same time, they are destroying freedom. When when they abusing freedom of speech, when they're um, you know only focusing on local affairs and forget about what's happening around the world, that's when I when I think there is something some groundwork that has to be done in like high school and middle school to our students to people in the United States to let them know what is happening around the world. And it's so important for me, just from my perspective, to tell them the story of Hong Kong and what Hong Kongers have experienced in the past and what those stories can tell them about the Communist uh, Party of China and here right now. Yeah, and Francis, you brought it up. The thing about it is we remember the images. Um, everybody saw them. The, you know, the bravery to to face down the the police and there was a lot of military mixed in police, but we'll get into that some other time, you know, umbrellas against tear gas and the leaf blowers and just trying to do your best against it and the bravery of that. The truth is, it's probably too late once it goes to that. And while we see like, you know, Vladimir Putin's doing it with an actually army and rolling in um, Xi Jinping and the ruling party, they do it ideologically, they do it economically and they do it slowly with a plan. And they took over the institutions. Exactly. We know they took over the judicial system first. That's kind of that's what those protests were over was the judicial because they the people realize once you can be extradited to China, there's no hope. Talk about that part of it though, because this is more I hate to say subtle because it's not to the people, but internationally, they've got this down to a science. They take it over slowly, they take it over institutionally, and then by the time you get to protesting, it's almost too late. That's different than a war. But the result is the same over the country. You know, actually, you bring up a good point that um, before Xi Jinping took over, um, took control, um, the Chinese Communist Party used another strategy to 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 run Hong Kong. It was basically to have people who are very mild and who are who sounds very progressive to run Hong Kong. And so people in Hong Kong only cares about living. Um, they only cares about money. And they don't realize they're slowly doing things like in little things to to make Hong Kong less Hong Kong. You know, they're taking away our freedom. It sounds like we are having we are having, you know, and we're enjoying a kind of democratic system where we we have our own legislative body we have our own executive branch everything looks fine and even now like people would say you know i just want a life back um just like that we don't care if we are part of china or whatnot like who is running but we just want to live a normal life like that but out you know tr the truth is once when china took control of hong kong that's when everything starts to turn bad because we didn't realize at that time um, from, you know, 1997 to approximately like tw uh, 2012. During that time, when we were under China's rule, we're still continue to move toward to, to what we are right now. But when Xi Jinping took over, that's when he sped everything up. And that's when people start to realize, oh, like, you know we're losing our freedom because he is doing it so fast and it it's so drastic that everyone start to realize so i would say he's being dumb but at the same time he is being effective too um and when 
in 2019, what uh, the the movement that you're saying in 2019, they introduced that bill that would extradite criminals to from Hong Kong to China, and it sounds like justice. It sounds like there's nothing wrong about about it, but you know there's two different law in Hong Kong and China, and in China they have like 99.9 percent of conviction rate, and basically having a lawyer isn't gonna help you. And the worry of Hong Konger, we are concerned that this is a law that go, that is going to be tar targeting um, journalists, human rights lawyers, activists, and people just like me, who they would turn us to be a suspect and a criminal and to extradite it to China without a doubt. And at that time, no one is going to be able to know where we are because you know what it what what's wrong in China is that once you get arrested, you can't ever hear where they are. Like can't you can't hear a word from them anymore. And for Hong Kongers, that's that's something we can never imagine. And um, right now, when the, as the national security law is in Hong Kong. One of the line in the law is that the worst scenario is that you can be extradited to China for trial. And for example, you know, Jimmy Lai, that's one of the people that we worry the most that he will be sent to China for trial. And if I stayed in Hong Kong at that time, I could be one of them too. I can be the people who are now locked behind bars and waiting for unlimited period of trial and never get released. That's that's what what my friends in Hong Kong are facing right now. And even if they're not locked behind bars, they are still experiencing a life that do not have freedom of speech. They can't speak freely. Even if they are on social media, when they saw a piece of news about Hong Kongers in exile, they would have to wonder like, should I like this post or share this post? Because that can be one of the evidence of be of of being involved in subversion activity. So that's what people in Hong Kong are experiencing right now. There's no freedom. Mm. Francis and Grace are joining us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to delve into her experiences more. Bring it up today. We're going to talk to Grace about how you tell these stories because it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to figure out how to get that much information down into data points. But she tries to do it along with the rest of the Dissident Project. We're talking the Dissident Project on her tell more right after the break. Welcome back to Herd Tell. We're we're having a good time talking about it, but it's a tough topic, and you got to laugh to get through the hard times. Uh, Grace and Francis are joining us. Chris, you just heard her talk about some of it. <laughs> you know, there's the old misquote that's lived in legend about you know the death of a man is a tragedy. A million people that's a statistic, but that's what you have to do here. You got to try to funnel that kind of story, that kind of human tragedy. Put it not only put it through a funnel, but let's be honest as Americans, we're we're the privileged people of the earth. How do you? funnel that down and get it to people where something like losing your freedom, it's almost like a foreign language you're trying to explain to people. 
that have, you know, especially since we're doing it a lot through multimedia, we're doing it through the internet. So this is a class of people that have a little bit of privilege. How do you even start telling that story and filtering it down and getting it in front of people? And like, you need to pay attention to this because not only is it a tragedy to the people happening, it's a cautionary tale to what will happen in the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, if we're talking about being indisputable, we're talking about personal stories. So that's why we sought out uh, people, dissidents with um, with firsthand experience, firsthand understanding uh, of what's been happening in their home countries. Um, you know, people can sit and listen to a history class. People can sit and listen to a lecture. Um, people can listen to a professor speak on a subject, but unless somebody has personal experience, specifically when they're speaking to young children or children in high school, um, it's not going to resonate the way that somebody who protested in Hong Kong and has their umbrella with them is going to resonate uh, with younger audiences. So that's why we we focused the program the way that we did. Francis, for the for the international audience, I know. The umbrella thing became really the symbol of the, of the 2019 movements. Um, I hate to phrase it this way, but there's, you know, look, I'm a military guy. The first thing that strikes you is the futility of it. And then the second part that hits you is the the absolute human bravery of it, of like, I know this is futile, but it's all I got. So by God, this is what I'm using. You were there. You know these people. You talk to them that's the symbol we picked up on is that a sim how did that symbolism work for the people of hong kong as well of like this is basically our last resort but this is what we got yeah i mean a lot of the movements in hong kong really broke out without any planning i would say maybe the organizer has think about it but for a grassroots for a grassroots movement like as huge as that people were only there because they want to protest and, and oppose a certain bills, right? And they wouldn't imagine it would eventually broke out into a mass movement, like 2 million people would go onto the streets and it lasted for, you know, months and almost a year. And at the, at the very first time when people were on the streets, they were only, you know, they were thinking it's only a march, it's only a rally. And when we live in that freedom for so long from our mind it's so simple like we're just going to be on the streets and chanting and marching all that kind of stuff so people only you know hong kong always rains and people always have an umbrella in their backpack and that's the only thing that people can defend for themselves so when something violent happened they only pull out the only things that they have to protect themselves and you can see that from that it's so powerful because you you know for sure no one was there uh intended to to start anything violent and the only the the reason why they only pull out an umbrella it's because that's the only resource that's the only thing that they have and you know it's it's so this is this become a symbol um, in 2014, um, when the occupying movement started, um, there was just one day that people were on the streets and the police start to launch um, tear gas and, um, and pepper spray to people. And they have to use something to basically show themselves. So you can see people 
were didn't plan to start anything violent, and all they want to do is to protect themselves against the weapons and against police force. And you can see, I don't know if you have seen like videos of the umbrella movement. Um, there are umbrellas that people start to send from the back to the front to the front line, and you can see all everything is like started in a group and people are just using team efforts um and we became like a like like a group of people like strangers um became a group of people of force and a group of people with power they work together and to protect themselves they became like a community um that's something very powerful and really strikes me when i was watching that video and and I, I'm sure a lot of other people who later joined the movement was very moved by the video too, was very moved by people who were standing on the front line. Um, and this become a symbol um, for the international community to recognize what's happening in Hong Kong. And this become also became something, you know, very influential that a lot of, of other uh, street protests in other countries also to reference to and it happened in Thailand and in a lot of other movements around the world and you know that's something we have and and many people just took reference of it and we're very glad that this becomes something that people recognize um but it's you know it's so powerful because umbrella it's it, it can it can look weak but when it's it's all together it can become a shield against um police force against something so powerful yeah, and Grace, when you're detailing this down for, you know, school age young people, high school kids especially, you know, maybe some young college kids, that sort of age group. I mean, that's this is almost like a children's parable when you think about it. If you just pulled it out of the blue sky and told it, it's like, oh, that's some kind of a parable for a teaching moment. Yeah. But this really happened, and it not only happened, we got it on high definition video. Yeah. I mean, th this is like this is this is living history that we just experienced. How do we keep it in the public consciousness? Because the media has already moved on from this story. You you hardly ever hear about Hong Kong in U.S. media right now, Western media. You know, even even, you know, BBC and Sky News that has bureaus there. You hardly ever hear anything about the protests anymore. And I watch it every day. How do you use those stories and that video and the stories of Grace and others and start getting it into these kids so that the next generation already has it inculcated into them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the point of the dissident project, right? Um, if the generations who are controlling the media uh, now aren't focused on it, then how do we how do we uh, rectify that situation? We go to younger generations and we we change the way that people will tell this story moving forward. That's the whole point of the dissident project, and it's incredibly important. Francis, you talked about um you know, having hope and then having no hope. We watched it from afar, so we see the full sequence of events. For the people in Hong Kong, it was probably a very different in how they perceive things. When was the moment that they they really knew that, you know, China had the full control and this was going to get bad? Was it the judicial reforms? Was it shutting down the free press? Uh, a lot of people that we talked to in Western media, they said when they canceled the Tiananmen vigil, which is always a big, big deal in Hong Kong, when yeah. they canceled that and didn't get a lot of pushback, that's kind of when they knew. When was it for you and, and for the folks there? When was one of the two, the mile post where they went, OK, this, this is going to get bad? I would say 
for me, it's it's two thing, two events. The first is the when the national security law was implemented in Hong Kong. Um, that happened in July 2020 after the the protest in 2019. Um, that's the thing that when at the first time when um, we see a law from China being imposed in Hong Kong and without any any consent or without any process of consulting the community or the people, it completely bypassed the legislative body. Um, it's really a law that was passed by the People's of Con uh, People's Congress and uh, of the CCP, and implemented in Hong Kong. And it was a news that was they only published, they only announced this news in June, which is one month before the implementation of the law. And people start to wonder, like, how effective or how are they going going to enforce this law? Like, how big it is going to cover? Is it going to trace back to what people have done before? Um, does that mean saying, you know, advocating for Hong Kong independence or, you know, as simple as supporting democracy in Hong Kong would be criminalizing, right? Um, so there is like a, a people, there is like a feeling of uncertainty all around the city. And then when they really, when they have the first arrestee of the national security law that's when people start to realize okay that's the boundary that's that's a red line but still even though you can see you know a very blurry red line it, it's still like very it's still something it's it it's like i don't know if people can see that as an indicator of what they can do or not because they can change the rule anytime and then when they arrest someone for something that they have done in the past, people start to wonder, oh my God, like, so all of my involvement in the 2019 movement can be, can become an evident. Um, and, and so eventually there is like a feeling of white terror, a, a self-censorship in the city. And people would be like, as I said, as I mentioned earlier, when you go into social media, they don't even know if they can share this news because that can be one of the evidence against them. And um, I think the the implementation of the NSL really strikes the city and completely um, completely demolish the freedom and what we have developed in the past. Um, and that's what's also one of the reasons why I left Hong Kong. And I would say the second events that happen and it really br brought people down would be the arrest of the 47 um, uh, pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong. Um, they were arrested all, all of the sudden in one morning and the court e couldn't even handle so many people. They couldn't even handle to have trials on, on these people and they just didn't Planet. They just wanted to arrest everyone who have any who have so much influence in the city. And after they were arrested, basically all kinds of civil activities and protests or any sort of resistance stopped right there. Because these people are are the people who initiate campaigns and uh, and look at policies and speak up against the government. And when these leaders were arrested, basically the people do not know what they can do and because there is the the, 
the the scary the scariest part is that they have a hotline to report things. So if you if anyone witnessed or hear overheard any conversations that deemed to violate the national security law, they can report it to the hotline, and the police would come to your door and arrest you. And so there is also the the hope, the trust that was built between the community is gone now. And the only thing that people can do to live a okay life in Hong Kong is to only care about living, but not to care about what's going on in the city and what's going on around them. So I would say that's the two things that really strikes me in, in the people of Hong Kong. Francis and Grace are joining us from this and Project. We're going to take another quick break when we come back, continue to talk about Hong Kong. How do you teach these lessons? What to learn from them? We're going to talk a little bit more about authoritative dictatorships from firsthand knowledge, communism, socialism, because we throw those terms around. We need to be real specific what we're talking about. More with Francis and Grace right after this. It's a very special hurt tale continues. Might have heard tell. Grace is joining us. Francis is joining us. They're both from the Dissident Project. Um, Grace, real quick, we just heard her, you know, more of her story and what's going on in Hong Kong. It's not just Hong Kong. We have multiple people in the Dissident Project um, from all over different parts of the world. The theme that goes across all of these, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's Hong Kong, whether it's North Korea, authoritative dictatorships who need power and they have to crush dissent and they have to crush other people's freedoms to keep that power. This is universal through human history. It's always going to be this way throughout human history, I think. How do you tell that part of the story that, hey, this isn't just some ideological term we throw around on social media. This is a part of the human experience for as long as we have recorded history. And it's happening right now to real life people that through technology you can talk to like Francis. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think in addition to, uh, you know, the dissidents telling their personal stories, which is uh, an incredibly important part of this, um, they also talk about the technical details of uh, how these authoritarian governments uh, begin, how they take over, um, how socialism leads to communism, the economic, the economic implications of these systems uh, for the citizens of their home countries. Um, and so it's not just uh, that they're telling their personal stories, but they really are reaching back into history and talking about how these things happen, um, how uh, people groups become oppressed, uh, how countries fall into authoritarian rule. And Francis, we know the history of how Hong Kong fell under authoritative rule. We know, you know, it's British. Now the Chinese have control of it. What's the future? And I don't I don't want to be bleak about it, but, you know, the, the Communist Chinese Party is very ingrained. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. What's the immediate future of Hong Kong? Are, are they going to get even more freedoms taken away? What's the status right now today? Because like we mentioned before, the Western media has kind of stopped covering it, unfortunately, since 
probably the, the 2019 where we had those visual things. What's been going on since then and what do you anticipate in the near future? Well, as I said, on a, on a civil activity level, there's none. There's no um, protest going on in the streets. Um, and, but then I also want to mention that I think there are still resistance uh, among the people. You know, you can't you can shut people's mouth like all of a sudden and erase their memories. I think that's something we can hold hope on. And um, when there is such a huge um, oppression that exists in, in the city, that's when arts start to evolve. And that's when create like creation starts to come out. And we see many people start to um, pay more attention to local arts and local music and, you know, just everything that's coming out from Hong Kong because they know that's what they can, what our national identity is contained to. Um, and they start to embrace more about the local culture and that's how they practice and how they really lift their identity out as a Hong Konger. So, you see there are a lot of different art different um special unique things that comes out from the city and our part in xl is to promote about it and to you know amplify that um because the people back people in hong kong they do not get as much exposure and attention as they have before um and i think even now like within arts you can see people's voice are continue they are continuing to speak up and 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 to to, and to say the values they 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 want to embrace so um when you look at little things and basically things that comes out from the city it's very it's just amazing and i i think um that's the thing that we can look forward to and who knows like i think back in 2014 i didn't imagine that something as big as as massive as the 2019 movement would happen so perhaps we can have hope that in the future something like that could happen even and and something even bigger we don't know and i can only tell you that you know for people like us outside we have the responsibility to amplify their voice and to uh, continue to bring attention to them and that's why I'm with the dissident projects because I want to tell the story of Hong Kong. Basically, are are you aware of that as you do your advocacy? And I, I know we're talking with Grace. You know the way you've built the dissident project. It's going to be very online. It's very multimedia. It's multi-platform. We call it on purpose. Are you are you cognizant of that? It's like you don't really know what's going to break through, not just the Hong Kong, but the Chinese people themselves. I know they keep a real tight lock on the technology, but you never know what might get through. And you never know who might get to see it. And that little sliver, like, like, for example, when Speaker Pelosi went to Taiwan and, and the CCP just absolutely freaked out, you know, we kind of say it's like, it's not just that they're free. That scares them to death because somebody might see that and they might see somebody that's free and they might see a country that's free and something. Are you really cognizant of that? It's like every time I do this, every time I make a YouTube video, every time I do an interview, you just never know what might slide through and inspire that one more person. Yeah. Absolutely. Like they would send millions of people online, like robots to comment under video and to 
basically sent you create a huge backlash online against your video or anything that you do and that's when you know oh, this is something they care about and they're scared of and so we would do that more um i can you know a lot of times sanctions does help um sometimes when they're trying to do evil things and little things and they thought no one is gonna pay attention to and we reveal that truth they are scared too so um i you know i we will just continue to do that more often you know yeah i've had a few run-ins with those state-sponsored tag twitter accounts uh once or twice because i don't care i say what i think of them and they know exactly where i stand on that grace you have to know that though when you put this project together they are very the the cp propaganda online it's very active there's a lot of bots out there they have a lot of malicious stuff out there you got to be aware of that when you put this project together. It's like, this isn't just going to be us talking to kids. This is a worldwide audience, and there's some really bad people just going to be watching us and not liking what we're doing too, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, we're very aware. Um, and I think uh, being strategic with our language um, has been really important for us, not only as we consider those different factors, which are huge, and the safety of our distance, which is huge, um, but also reaching as many people as possible, right? We want to reach people in the movable middle. Uh, we want to talk about human rights abuses. We want to talk about liberty. We want to use language that will be as uh, accessible as possible for as many people as possible. So we're being very cognizant of all of those different factors. Yeah, it's a tough road to hoe because you just you want to say certain things to people that are just that out and out wicked. But at the same time, you got to understand there's another audience. So God bless you for walking that hard line. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break. We come back. We're going to kind of wrap this up a little bit more about the dissident project. We're going to talk about those kids they are going to be talking to in the schools, the reactions, what it's like to talk to them, what it brings up in the people to do it. Because sometimes we just see the people standing in front of the room and, and you need to know what it feels like to stand up there. I've had to do that a little bit myself sometimes. More with Grace, more with Francis. So we continue her tell right after this. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell, talking to our good friends, Grace and Francis, the Dissident Project. Um, Francis, when you go to something like a school or even like a college or something like this, and you have that room full of people and they're just staring at you, you, you know you've got a message that matters. You know this is life and death stuff to the people of Hong Kong. What goes through your mind in that minute before you kind of get into your your routine and the things you normally say and you just got all those people staring at you and you're do you feel the weight of it? Does it hit you like, oh, what am I doing here? This this is not exactly what my life plan was. <laughs> well, I would say all the activists or dissidents that come out from our country, 
did not imagine that we were living the life that we're living right now. That's one thing. I have my own dream, and that's not something related to politics, obviously. Um, and I didn't imagine myself would be standing in front of the classroom and talking to a bunch of students about Hong Kong. And um, but that's what I have to do, right? And so I, I remind myself what I'm here for, um, not just for my people. It's not like I am a great leader that is. It's like living a life against what I against my will. It's it's really for myself and for people I care. And you know, I have family and friends back home in Hong Kong, and those are the people that keep me fighting um, till now. So. Um, I just remind myself, like you know, this is what I'm here for, and I'm I'm gonna gonna do great. And if they're gonna stare at me continually, then I would be, you know, I I I would just tell them, you know, let's put 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 yourself in my shoes and think about what it would be like to live a life that without freedom, a life that you would scare to death that one day the police are gonna knock on your door and take your parents away. That's it, you know. And that's the life that many dissidents are living, and and people living under um, a communist rule are facing. So um, once you tell that kind of scenario and that kind of story, um, you're gonna capture their attention. Yeah, I hate to correct guests. I rarely do it, but you're wrong. By the way, you are a great leader. Uh, just so you know, and somebody tells you publicly, Grace, when you reach out to these schools or organizations or whoever, or somebody reaches out to you. What's the response like? Because this is kind of a new thing. Um, it's also dovetailing. There's certain parts of the country where school boards and even some state legislatures are saying, hey, we want education that's broader, that brings in real life people like this. And you're, of course, dovetailing with that. But what's the response when you talk to the teachers, the administrators, uh, the course, the curriculum people that are looking to uh, implement this stuff? Because you're putting out material also. It's not just the dissidents themselves. What's the response been and how are you pitching this to them of like, this is something really, really important to get in front of the kids? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, the response has been really varied. Um, we've had a, an incredible amount of people reach out to us initially, um, which is how most of our, our initial talks got started, um, was people were really initially very, very interested in this project and continue to be. Um, <clears throat> they're incredibly grateful that they can have people with such uh, incredible experience, humbling experience, come and speak to their kids. Um, we're of course, I, I spoke on it a little bit earlier, but we're of course facing um, a little bit of backlash. Um, we don't wanna be a political project. We want to be an educational project, uh, an educational venture. Um, and so again, we've had to be very conscientious with our verbiage, very conscientious with the way that we're discussing these issues. Um, and really focus on the fact that, no, this is not a political conversation. Uh, this is a conversation about our basic American freedoms. Um, so that's kind of had to, be, had to be our approach. And Francis, when, you, when you're comparing and contrasting the two, because it was a different system anyway. And of course, you know, China and America are very different in a lot of ways. Um, how do you bridge that gap in explaining something like freedom and rights, which is something that you know, Americans may have a little bit of book knowledge on it and they know the verbiage to say the words, but in practical application, it's like explaining, you know, water to a fish for lack of a better way of explaining it. They've been free for all their lives. How do you explain non-freedom to them? You have to bridge that gap through experience. How do you approach it? 
for me it's it's similar to what i said it's to imagine um and i previously we had a summit in dc and we all like went over our presentations and what we were going to tell the students um one thing that comes to mind is TikTok. TikTok is being used um it's so popular among uh, american youth and the evil is in the detail right they are taking your information everything out from your phone um when you are when you are using the app when you are on that platform so a lot of people do not realize it and i can ask i can i i can be pretty sure that people in you know students in the room in the classroom 10 out of 10 of them would have the app on their phone and if i tell you that you know all your information are, are going to be sent to china um and actually a lot of people um they have they have um share things about china on the tiktok and being censored and taken down by by the app because they were told to do so then you would realize you know this is something that you are using every day but that's also a tool that the chinese government is using to oppress is people in China. Um, so yeah, when you have something that they have on hand and they can relate, that's easier for them to imagine what's happening around the world. Yeah. Isn't TikTok a great example? And I don't want to just pick on TikTok because this could be anything. This could be Facebook or whatever else. But yeah. isn't it amazing that you know the path to losing your freedom just starts with laziness or or maybe not even laziness, but just convenience? And TikTok is a really good way to teach kids. Kid, look, my kids got TikTok, but I told them, you know, my kids, I've always told them, I was like, you know, don't use your real name. I do it because I'm, you know, I do this publicly, but I'm in a different situation than them. I was like, don't use your real name. And I was like, I taught them OPSEC real easy. I was like, look, don't let anybody see anything you don't want your dad seeing. You know, they understand stuff like that. Yeah. How do you explain that, not just to kids, but just to Americans in general, when you're talking to them, like, Hey, this thing that's real convenient and fun, there's evil out there in the world that's using this as a tool because that's just unfathomable to a lot of people. I think a lot of apps right now, um, they're, they're, they have set base in, in China and they have their database in China. And a lot of times when you have to do that, you would have to compromise something. For example, your personal information. That's, that's, and that's also very, um, common and we don't realize um i think that's you know the cybersecurity issue it's really a thing that starts to more get more attention um and people start to worry more about that um about china yeah yeah grace uh tell folks about the dissident project where they can find it if they've got questions about it if they want to look into it to get into their school groups or their other groups for that matter because y'all talk to anybody who wants to listen uh tell people where they can find the dissident project where they can contact you and where they can find out more about all of your great dissidents that you've got working with the program yeah absolutely um the primary source of information is going to be our website which is dissidentproject.org um, it is where you can find our roster. It's where you can find the map of all of the dissidents locations. Um, it's where you can find further information on how to book a speaker. It's where you can find my email. Uh, if you would like to contact me directly, I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, always around to field phone calls, to field emails. 
whatever it is that people uh, need to do to feel comfortable booking a speaker and bringing them to your institution. Um, additionally, you can follow uh, the Dissident Project on Twitter and on Instagram. We are at Dissident Proj. So feel free to hit us up on all of our social medias. Yeah, we'll link to all that too. Francis, let folks know until, because we're going to have you back because you're, you're, you're an amazing person. You got a great story and we're anxious to see what you do. Bring you back after you've done this for a while, see what the responses have been. Let folks know where they can follow you and what you got going on until we get you back on her. Till next time. Well, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you search Francis Hoyer, you can basically see my handle. But yeah, it's it's friends on Instagram. It's Francis H U I I, and on Twitter, it's Francis underscore H U I. So, yep, and we'll put those on the screen graphics, and also link all of this material will be in the show notes. We will link to it. Uh, Francis, thank you so much for sharing your story for us. Grace, thank you for coming back and helping to facilitate these great stories. I, I have a personal goal. We're going to try to have all the dissonance on here at some point, give or take. But Francis, thank you for jumping first. Uh, we're going to keep talking about this. It's important work you're doing. Thank you so much for giving us the time to explain it. And we hope to talk again real soon. Thanks for having us. Thank yes, ma'am. Thank you. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.